magic lamp. Wonder what happens when I rub it. You have awakened me. I shall grant you three wishes. My first wish is for economic development. My second wish is to save hours of travel time. And my third wish is to create safer roads. You could have just wished for bus rapid transit and gotten all these things with one wish. Make all your transit wishes come true. Learn more about bus rapid transit at indigo.net slash bus dash rapid dash transit. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled to have you with us. And I'm actually glad to be back in the studio. I haven't been here for a couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, we got preempted because of race coverage, if I remember correctly. And then last weekend, I had a, a family wedding, my wife's family. So that was not optional. <laughs> I was at a wedding. In fact, I was right across the circle. I was at the Columbia Club for an absolutely uh, beautiful wedding. And the wedding reception, and then we ended up staying uh, all uh, right there in the Columbia Club. And so it was really fun. It was a fun wedding and a great group. And uh, I got great feedback. Uh, Producer Carl put together last week uh, what we call the best of the gun guy. And uh, Carl used his own discretion to to put together what we played. And I actually got really good feedback. I had people uh, comment on social media that uh, they really enjoyed the show and, and hoped we would post it and continue to make it available. So... Uh, that is posted, and you can always find uh, my shows on what on iTunes, on Omni, and kind of all the usual places. But you can also go to the WIBC page and click on Shows, and then click on Gun Guy, and we've got several uh, weeks, if not months uh, or years, even uh, of shows posted there, and you can go back. So, thanks for the positive feedback on last week's show, even though it wasn't live. Uh, but we're thrilled to have a live show for you tonight, and we, as we always do, we've got a lot to go into. If you've sort of stored up your questions or comments over the last couple of weeks and want to give us a call and join the discussion, please do throughout our two-hour show. It's 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Give us a call. Join the discussion. We're always happy to hear from our listeners, uh, particularly when we haven't had an opportunity to take calls here for a couple of weeks. Uh, between being preempted and then uh, doing a, a Best of the Gun Guy recorded show last week. But I want to get into a number of things. And first of all, a, a whole bunch of people have forwarded me either by email or on social media, uh, whether on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, by the way, if, if you're on Twitter, I guess we're supposed to call that X now, but I'm, I'm having trouble with that transition. Uh, Twitter or X, whatever it is you want to call it. I'm on there just at Guy Relford. Give me a follow or, while you're on there. I'm, I'm being a lot more active on Twitter these days, posting a lot more content, and we'd love to have you uh, share that. I'm, I'm commenting, for instance, on what we'll get into on the Gun Guy Show, and I get great feedback for what people would like me to go into on the Gun Guy Show, and you have an opportunity to provide that feedback directly to me on Twitter uh, or X, if you'd prefer to go with the new nomenclature. Uh, go on there and give me a follow at, at Guy Relford. And I would appreciate it. In the meantime, several people, as I mentioned, have sent me a link 
And there, there's a guy apparently called the Armed Scholar, and I've never heard of this guy, but he has a uh, YouTube channel, and a whole bunch of people uh, sent me the link to this guy doing a show and, and or a story or a segment, whatever you want to call it, on YouTube, a video, where the, the caption... It's got this big picture of Biden yelling, and it's got, I don't know, I think Kamala Harris looking upset. And the and the title or caption of this thing is, is uh, Supreme Court eliminates carry laws and, uh, and goes on from there. And, and I'm, I'm looking at this link going, well, no, the Supreme Court hasn't done any such thing. And so what the hell is this all about? And so... I watched the the video, and it turns out that and and, and I, I the content of the video wasn't bad. I mean, it was it was fairly accurate. And I don't know what this guy's background is that calls himself the armed scholar. Uh, he's clearly pro two way. I mean, he and I are on the right side of or on the same side of things, and I believe to be the right side of things. So I don't want to be critical, but I I, I absolutely hate headlines like that. You know, 6-3 Supreme Court decision eliminates carry laws or strikes down carry laws or something along those lines. And I'm like, hold on, what? And and what he's actually talking about, and it does bear some discussion, and it is definitely a positive development. But let's talk about what did and didn't happen here recently. What he's actually talking about is something that, that is very, very limited in its effect. And what it is, it's a ruling by one judge in one county in the state, or they would say Commonwealth of Massachusetts, as to one guy. And so it's very limited. It's one judge at the, at the, at the state trial court level. So it's not even a state appellate court that may have influence and precedence there throughout Massachusetts. It's just one judge. But the, the way that this particular judge ruled is actually very important, and I think dead-on accurate, I think legally, absolutely legally correct. And I would like to see many more courts follow this up. I think it's interesting to see, it will be interesting to see what the intermediate and and highest-level appellate courts in Massachusetts have to say about this, including assuming that the Commonwealth of Massachusetts wants to take it up. Or they may drop it, and we'll never hear any more about it, and we'll have to see other cases litigated along the same lines. But what this involves is a guy who was arrested in Massachusetts who lives in New Hampshire. And he was apparently, according to the judge's opinion, lawfully carrying according to the laws of New Hampshire. Now, I don't know whether that's because New Hampshire has constitutional carry, and he was carrying under under that or whether he had a license or permit to carry issued from his state, his home state of, of New Hampshire. I, I don't know. All the judge's opinion says is he was lawfully carrying according to the laws of New Hampshire. But he crossed over into Massachusetts while carrying his gun. So his crime associated with the carrying of that gun was simply crossing a state line. For instance, and, and there's a safe passage law now where in Illinois, if you have an Indiana license, uh, they will allow you to possess a firearm uh, 
under your Indiana license in your vehicle while in Illinois. But let's say I walk across the state line or I'm in Illinois and I get out of my car and I go walking into a restaurant uh, or a grocery store or a park or wherever it might be carrying my handgun with my Indiana license. The crime I would be committing in Illinois would be carrying a handgun without a license because Illinois now has what they call a concealed carry permit. They had to be ordered by the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals to begin issuing licenses to its own citizens because they never did before just a few years ago. I want to say probably 10 years ago. But once the court ruled that they had to, they started issuing licenses. But they don't recognize anybody else's license including Indiana's. So the same thing could happen to me if I'm outside my vehicle in the state of Illinois. My only crime is essentially crossing the state line outside of a vehicle with my Indiana license. I was lawful when I went through Terre Haute or Gary or wherever I passed through on my way to Illinois. But by going into Illinois, being outside my vehicle, now suddenly I'm committing a felony in Illinois. Well, that's what happened to this guy crossing the state line from New Hampshire into Massachusetts. He was arrested, he's prosecuted, he's convicted. We'll strike that. He wasn't convicted before the case went to a conviction. Typically, that's what happens. Someone's convicted and then they appeal it to a court of appeals, for instance. In this case, at the trial court level, so the, the, the not the appellate court, the case, the court where he was being prosecuted, his lawyer, very smartly as it turns out, filed a motion to dismiss saying that the statute, which said that someone who's lawfully carrying in their own state who merely crosses a state line into Massachusetts is suddenly committing a felony, his lawyer was arguing that was unconstitutional. The judge ultimately agreed and said, yes, I don't know of any other constitutional right that you lose simply by crossing the state line, leaving your home state and move into another state. What other constitutional freedom do you lose? By simply crossing a state line. I think that's a brilliant argument. It's something I've been talking about forever. I've talked about that argument in the context of the 14th Amendment and, and talking about equal protection of the laws and talking about due process and talking about full faith and credit, which is more, only marginally applicable. But there's a number of other arguments. I've been talking about how if we ever get national reciprocity, I would much rather see the courts say that states have to recognize every other state's license or permit or lawful carry, whatever form it may take, and not have Congress give that to us in the form of a national law, a federal statute, because what Congress gives, Congress can take away. I'd much rather have the Supreme Court of the United States say, oh, no, under the 14th Amendment, or, or according to the rationale of this judge in Massachusetts, under the Second Amendment, you can't take someone's constitutional right away under the Second Amendment. That is to bear arms simply when they cross the state line. I'll go into more about why the court ruled the way they did and why this one particular YouTube uh, author, poster, uh, channel owner, whatever you call the person, was so excited about it. Now, he exaggerated, at least in the headlines. The content wasn't bad. The headlines are grossly exaggerated. But what does this really mean? It doesn't mean anything for us in, here in Indiana right now, but where could it go? Where could this argument, uh, how could this argument develop and where could this lead? And why a lot of us are seeing this as a very positive 
decision, notwithstanding the fact that it is incredibly limited in scope and application. We'll talk more about that when we come back, and we'll take your calls. I think a couple of people have called in, um, so we'll jump on the phone lines, and I'll get back to this decision out of Massachusetts and, and what it really could mean down the line, because it doesn't mean a lot right now. I would never post something on YouTube or anywhere else and say, oh, the Supreme Court has struck down all carry laws. I mean, uh, come on. That's going to get you some clicks, but uh, but it's not accurate. But what, what does it really mean? We'll go into all of that, but we'll also go to our phone lines. we got a number of people on hold right now. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Sky Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. just a state court trial judge's opinion dismissing one case as to one guy. So it has very limited effect on anyone other than that one guy, although I'm sure he's pretty happy that at least for now the charges against him have been dismissed. But it does have potentially broader ramifications to the extent his argument that his lawyer used successfully in that case would be picked up by other other judges and other courts across the country and what that could potentially mean. We'll get back into that uh, when we have a chance. In the meantime, a bunch of people have called, so let's go to the phone lines. Our pal Buzz is called. Buzz, welcome back to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, good afternoon, Guy. How you doing? Yeah, man. You doing all right? Yes. Okay. On my driver's license, I noticed that my expiration date and my issue date are written in red. And a few of the people that I know, theirs are all in black. Is that a way that the police know that I have a permit? I've never heard that, Buzz. Uh, that That's a possibility, I suppose. Um, I don't know. When I have a chance, I'll, I'll grab my wallet and, and see what, what, uh, what whether mine is uh, in red as well. But um, I, that could be. I, I don't know. I've, not, I've certainly never heard that. But I can tell you this. When um, a police officer runs your driver's license, so this could be during a traffic stop or for whatever other reason, that officer is told that you have uh, a license to carry handgun without even asking. It comes up automatically. For instance, if they're running your driver's license from um, the computer in their in, in their unit, in their vehicle, um, then there's a little banner that comes right across the screen that says you have a license to carry. Now, that's when you they run your driver's license, not your registration. And by the way, Buzz, I just pulled my driver's license out, and uh, my expiration date is in black, bro, and I've had a lifetime license since they've had lifetime licenses. Um, so I, it doesn't look like that's uh, an indication. But the databases are linked. And so, for instance, I've been pulled over now a number of times. Um, with a gun in the car, and and it's happened less and less. I think more and more police officers are just used to law-abiding citizens having guns in their cars. Um, but I've had police officers before just ask me, where's the gun? 
you know, not even ask me if I have a gun. Just ask me where it is. Now, that could also be because my license plate says gun lawyer <laughs> or because, you know, my my pickup truck had a great big, huge uh, decal across the back that said tactical firearms training. So uh, that may have given them a clue as well. But if, if and what some officers will do in different departments have different, pro, excuse me, different protocols. But what some officers do is when they pull over a vehicle, they'll run the plate to see who the registered owner is, and then they can go ahead and bring up the driver's license of the registered owner. That may or may not be the driver just because the car is registered to that particular person, but often it is, and sometimes officers will, ta- will take a look at that. But they are told when they run your driver's license through the computer that you have a license to carry. Let's go back to the phone lines, and uh, let's see. I think Don is next as far as uh, how long you've been on hold. Don, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, Guy, you have a great show. It's always real full of vital technical information. Thank my you. Question is, my question is, a person that has constitutional carry, when they go to buy a gun, they have to go to the exact same background check that I have to go to because yep. I'm a lifetime permit holder. Is that correct or not? Close. Um, with the, the background check that Nix does, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System that is used for gun purchases, is also used um, uh, when, for instance, you go to apply for a, a handgun license. Um, and, and they pull up all that same information on a handgun license. A person who doesn't have a license and... Uh, is just trying to buy a gun, they, they get a NICS check. Um, what's a little different, for instance, if you're applying for a license to carry, the, the state police, they use NICS, and they also use IDAX, which is a, the state license. They use NCIC, which is the National Criminal Information Center. And and they, they have access to the exact same information that, that NICS does when they're running a background check as part of a gun purchase. The criteria is slightly different. In other words... Um, there are a couple of disqualifiers to get a handgun license that uh, will keep you from getting a handgun license that do not prohibit you from buying a gun. For instance, under the handgun licensing statute, and this is so vague, and I've argued we ought to change this, and in fact, some of the almost, well, it was identical language that used to be in our red flag statute for the seizure of firearms, uh, we got changed because there's this infamous Section 6 to get, I know this isn't exactly your question, Don, but looking at um, a handgun license background check and what it takes to get a handgun license is, uh, again, it's slightly different than the background check you go through to buy a gun because, for instance, um, it's different in terms of the 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 disqualifiers that exist. Because there's one that where the state police can deny you a license under this so-called Section 6 if there's documented evidence evidence that will give rise to a reasonable belief that you have a propensity for violent or emotionally unstable conduct. Violent or emotionally unstable conduct. And what does that even mean? And, and that's not a conviction for anything. It's just documented evidence, whatever that means. And violent, okay, we can get our heads around violent, but what does emotionally unstable mean? I mean, I, uh, in arguing why we should take that language out of the red flag statute, which we've done, we've substituted now it says suicidal in the red flag statute. And I, and I fought for that. If It was my idea to change that because I had real red flag cases where somebody said, well, this person's emotionally unstable. I'm like, wow, what is that? Well, first of all, what does that even mean? I don't know what it means. I mean... When when the Colts quarterback throws an interception, I cuss a lot and throw pillows at the TV. Is that emotionally unstable? I mean, my wife would say yes, 
Does that mean I, I've lost my constitutional rights? I wouldn't think so. What the hell does emotionally unstable mean? And so, um, and, 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 and so that, that, that section of the handgun licensing statute, I think, is overly vague, and the state police will use that to deny, some, deny somebody a license. But in the meantime, it is, it is generally true that a person under constitutional carry who goes in to buy a gun, if, if, in order to buy that gun, they have to be a law-abiding citizen and pass a NICS check. And I will tell you right now, 99% of the people that pass a NICS check would also qualify um, to carry under constitutional carry. They're they that similar. There are a couple of variations, so I can't say they're identical, um, but it's very, very damn close. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll tell you what, let's take a break here at the bottom of the hour. I got a bunch of people on hold. We'll go right back to the phone lines when we come back. I really appreciate people calling. We'll get to everybody, so please have patience. We'll go back to the phone lines here in just a bit. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. show on 93 WIBC. Let's go right back to the phone lines. We've had a whole bunch of people holding for a while, and I love it when our callers, excuse me, when our listeners call in. Matt's been holding for a while. Matt, uh, you may be asking me about something I plan on talking about later in the show, Matt, but go ahead. Hey, uh, Guy, I just had a question about that uh, IMPD Mm -hmm. shooting video that was going around last week. Now, at what point, if you just are walking around with a handgun in your hand, say, pointed at the ground, at what point is that a crime? Well, it's not. Um, that is uh, just being in possession of a gun, Matt. Um, and I'm going to talk about the IMPD shooting here later. In fact, um, I was on uh, Channel 8 talking to Richard Essex about that shooting. I was on Hammer and Nigel and I talked about it as well. But I'm going to go into a little more detail here on the show, time permitting, this afternoon, but listen, you know what's illegal? Well, it's being in possession of a gun if you can't lawfully possess a gun. So that that doesn't apply. You have a license, or you're carrying lawfully under constitutional carry. It's just having a gun in your hand a crime. No, it's illegal to point it at someone unless uh, you're justified in using force and self defense. Uh, it's un it's unlawful to threaten someone with it. Uh, again, unless you're lawfully justified. It's illegal to shoot it in a way that endangers some other person. That's criminal recklessness with a deadly weapon. If you're doing that intentionally, that could be anything up to and including uh, attempted murder. Um, So there's a number of crimes associated with uh, possession of a gun or pointing a gun or the use of a gun in an illegal or irresponsible way, just having a gun in your hand, not necessarily. But the question about this shooting, and I'm going to go into this in the second hour of the show, is... Just having a gun in your hand is a little different than being in a traffic stop where you start going through your wallet, you're obviously agitated, you at one point say, I just got out of prison, which I thought was an interesting point, 
Then you reach back into your vehicle, grab a gun during a traffic stop, and begin to run, run away, which is very important, run away with that gun in your hand. And that's a little different than just, you know, me walking around Monument Circle with a gun in my hand. Now, the fact that it's in my hand, even just walking around Monument Circle, do I think that allows police just to walk up and shoot me? I don't think so. But I would also want to combine that with everything else and because the cases, the law often talks about what they call the totality of the circumstances. That is an officer responding to that. Am I acting a little crazy? Am I acting a little agitated? Have I given any indication that I may hurt someone or I actually intend to hurt someone? Why is it in my hand as opposed to in a holster? I mean, there is any number of different issues. Now, just having a gun in my hand, is that illegal? No. And we've had people do open carry protests, for instance, where they've they've got a, a long gun, like an AR or an AK, and it's on a tax sling. They're at low ready. they got both hands on the gun. you got one... One hand on the four stock, they got another hand on the pistol grip. The gun's right there at low ready. That's where the tax sling holds it, and that's how they're walking around Monument Circle. Does that allow a police officer to run up and shoot him? No. But you have to look at the totality of the circumstances. And I'm going to talk about what that totality of the circumstances was in the context of that traffic stop, and also talk about what exactly the law is, because there's a statute. You want to look it up. It's 35-41-3-3. And it talks about use of force to effect an arrest or prevent an escape. And there's actually a section in there that applies to private citizens because there's such a thing as a citizen's arrest. But then there's a couple of different sections that apply to police officers. And I'll talk about what that law is and how it likely applies to that IMPD shooting. And I've, I've posted that video on my social media. You can find that on my Twitter at Guy Relford uh, or my Facebook, Guy A. Relford. And... Uh, and, and again, I did a story with uh, Richard Essex. I did an interview with Hammer and Nigel. But I, and I'm going to talk about it more because I think my audience is a little different. And many of folks listening to this show likely didn't hear any of those segments. But I'll get more into all of that, Matt, because you raise a great question. Let's go back to the phone lines. And uh, Bradley's been on hold for quite a while. Bradley, thanks for your patience and welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate the show. Sure. This is probably a dumb question. I probably already know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. I'm a. Uh, Honorably discharged veteran, uh-huh. but I have what's called major depressive disorder, 100% disability. I'm assuming that would keep me from being able to purchase a firearm. Am I correct? Well, it, that, I hate to give you an indefinite answer, Bradley, but it's a big maybe because it, it kind of depends on how that adjudication went uh, within the VA. Um, something that changed under the Obama administration. And some of this got undone a little bit under Trump, but it, as you might guess, it hasn't gone uh, very positively under the Biden administration. But the, the, the Obama administration took the position that if you got a, a disability rating, including for PTSD, and that came from as, as part of like an adjudication, uh, that is a, a administrative review within the VA, then that meant you'd lost your Second Amendment rights. For something like ma- major depressive disorder, the, the federal statute says you've lost your, your gun rights if you've been adjudicated to be mentally defective. Now, I hate that terminology. It's offensive wording, but that's what the federal statute says. So if there's an adjudication that, that the, the, the federal government would say 
means that you meet that standard because of your 100% disability rating for uh, the basis of it, which, as you said, was a major depressive disorder, then yes, the federal government's going to take the position you're prohibited from possessing a gun. But it kind of depends on what exactly was said, what exactly that um, disability rating was based on, and, and exactly what uh, the VA did at an administrative level to determine whether it meets that standard of quote-unquote adjudicated to be mentally defective. Again, I hate that terminology. Uh, I'm not easily offended, but that's offensive terminology, especially when applied to a veteran who may have uh, a condition, uh, an injury they incurred in the defense of this country. Uh, I hate using that label, but that's how that shakes out. I would say it's likely the VA, the federal government, FBI as part of a background check would take the position um, that you're disqualified, which breaks my heart because it shouldn't be that way. Um, but certainly under both the Obama and Biden administrations, that's the direction the VA and the FBI have gone on those issues. I'll tell you, we're at the three-quarter hour. I've still got several people on hold. We will go right back to the phone lines after this break. But right now we're taking a break. Give us a call. Join the discussion. Fabulous question so far. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Absolutely fabulous callers all night. I really appreciate it. We got a bunch of people on hold, so we'll keep going. We'll get to everybody, so please have patience. Join the discussion. 317-239-9393. Let's go to Chris. Chris, you've been on hold forever, man. Again, thanks for the patience. Hi, guy. How you doing? Good, I, man. I think I think you got one of the best shows out there on radio. Thank you. <laughs> but uh I was just wanting to ask you uh about that. I'm sure you heard about it, about that 16-year-old kid that was inside his house, and I guess he looked out the window and seen a guy with a ski mask on uh, breaking into his mom's car, and I guess he went and got his mom's gun and uh, shot shot at him and ended up killing the guy, which is the bummer. The guy ended up dying and all that, but the way I see, it, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he should have got arrested. The way I see it is a uh, the guy with the ski mask came on their property looking for trouble. That kid was probably, probably you know, the middle of night, or he's probably getting up, getting ready to go to school or whatever, and looked out the window and seen that, and yeah, probably didn't know what to do. And well, well Chris, let me let me tell you because this is something I cover in my Essentials of Indiana Gun Law class. We talk about this specifically, and and some people are disappointed to hear this, uh, but I'll tell you, Indiana law is really clear on this point. And that is that you can use deadly force to protect yourself or someone else from serious bodily injury or from the commission of what we call a forcible felony. That's um, a felony committed through the use or threat of force against a human. Um, you, can, you can use deadly force to prevent or terminate an unlawful entry into your home. Uh, or, and we actually extend that to your occupied motor vehicle so that if you're in your car, it has to be your car, but if you're in your car, 
and someone's trying to unlawfully attack or enter your vehicle. The so-called Kessel Doctrine, as we call it here in Indiana, and as they call it in a lot of states, actually extends to your occupied motor vehicle. But Indiana law is very clear, and there's a statute right on point, that when it comes to your property, and I'm talking about your home, your home, is that's the Kessel Doctrine, that's a whole different set of rules. But when it comes to your property, like your car, or the things you have in your car, including valuables that may be in your car, Indiana law says you can use reasonable force, but you can never use deadly force merely to protect your property. Again, I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about your car and stuff in your car. So if a guy is breaking into your car just to steal your car or to steal the stuff that's in your car, Indiana law is very, very clear that you can't use deadly force. Now, could, you know, assuming this is, safe and reasonable to do under the circumstances. Could could you run out, grab the guy by the collar and throw him out of your car? Could you punch him a couple of times? Yeah, you can use reasonable force to defend your property, but you can't use deadly force. And and that's a, a point I always emphasize in my class. And a lot of times people are kind of looking at me going, oh man, uh, you know, that's my property. I work hard for that. I got to stand around and watch somebody steal it. Well, no, you can use reasonable force. You just can't use deadly force. And in that situation, when a gun's involved, uh, it's very likely to be determined to be, quote-unquote, deadly force. So, yeah, on that point, Indiana law is actually very clear. Let's go back to the phone lines, and we got Dale. Dale, you've been on hold for a while, too, man. Thanks for your patience. What you got for us? Uh, I have a uh, question about police officers. Uh-huh. Okay. In this situation, I was pulled over for speeding. I was doing 35 and a 30, okay? Cop pulls me over, says, where's the gun? He already knew that I had a, you know, I already have the uh, lifetime permit, whatever. Okay. Yeah, he probably ran your plate and then ran your driver's license like I was talking about earlier. Right. He he didn't even run my uh, driver's license. He already knew that I, I had a lifetime permit. But the first thing he says was, where's the gun? Mm-hmm. And I said, it's in a small on my back. He says, give it to me. Do I have the ability to give him my weapon right then and there? Well, actually, there's uh, there's an Indiana case right on point, Dale. And uh, this goes back to 2010, and it's Melvin Washington versus State. If anybody wants to Google this, look it up and read it. But Melvin got pulled over for uh, a traffic stop. And Melvin, like you did, revealed that he had a gun in the car and also that he had a license to carry. And the officer said, well, I'm going to have to seize that gun for my safety during the stop. And so he took Melvin out of the car, and, and Melvin had said, well, it's under the seat. And the officer searched for the gun. He found the gun, but he also found drugs. So Melvin went to jail and, and got convicted for having the drugs. The question became, was that an illegal search or seizure if he demands to take possession? That's a seizure. It was an illegal search and an illegal seizure under the Fourth Amendment. Because the, the, the court said, listen, the only way you can search a driver or seize their property in the form of their gun is either if you have a reasonable suspicion that that person poses a danger to the officer and the mere possession of a gun doesn't get you there. Because it was a, a person who volunteered, they had a gun and they have a license to carry. So merely having the gun doesn't create that reasonable suspicion that they're a danger to the officer or that they're engaged in criminal activity. So the court ruled that violated... The Melvin's Fourth Amendment rights. So that officer violated your Fourth Amendment rights. The question becomes, what do you do about it? What do you do about it on the side of the road? 
That's not an argument that you're going to win on the side of the road. So I would say I don't believe that's a lawful order. You might want to talk, contact a supervisor. Uh, at the end of the day, if they demanded, I'm going to say I don't really want to handle a loaded gun here on the side of the road. Would you mile get out? You can take it. But at the end of the day, they violated your rights. The problem is that's not an argument you typically are going to win on the side of the road. We're coming up on the top of the hour. It's time to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. Got a couple of things I'm still going to get into. I'm going to get into this ruling out of Massachusetts. Again, it's just one trial court judge who issued this ruling and a lot of internet excitement over it, I think not understanding how limited its application really is, but I love the ruling, and it really could be used, the logic of it I think is dead on, I think it's absolutely accurate from a legal perspective, and it's a correct application of the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, and since that is the law of the land, and I think this one Massachusetts judge applied it correctly, uh, we'll go into more detail what that could mean down the road. And then I'm also going to talk about the IMPD shooting. A lot of people have called in and asked about that. I want to get into that this hour as well. But before I do any of that, I want to go back to the phone lines because we had a number of people on hold, and we always want to respect that and uh, bring people into the show where we can. So, Lloyd, you've been on hold for a long time. What's your question? Uh, the comment first about the driver's license. Uh, some of mine is in red. But also my donor indicator is in red. I wonder if that connects, but it's not important right now. Yeah, my I don't, question I don't is, know. I'm a donor, too, and I don't, I don't see any of that red print on mine. But, yeah, I just don't know. I'll have to ask somebody at BMV about that sometime. Well, you proved me wrong, and I'm not the first time that you <laughs> proved people wrong. Well, I, and, uh, and I okay. can just not understand the system, too, Lloyd. But I think you had a question yeah. about Giuliani uh, in Rudy New York. Giuliani, he cleaned up New York City, and I think that the ACLU did something to stop him from allowing or to stop the city from allowing police officers to do their job about checking people that had guns and stuff like that. And I was wondering if you had an opinion. Yeah, I can tell you exactly. And um, what what we're talking about is that New York uh, decided to get very aggressive with what's called stop and frisk. And stop and frisk is where a police officer uh, on the street, on, on the street, you know, out in public, can detain someone and investigate them. And this comes from a, a, a case called uh, called Terry v. Ohio, 1968, uh, U.S. Supreme Court case. And and the court in that case ruled that, and, and this, this rule is still in effect, that it's lawful for police officers to stop someone and detain them and investigate them, and as part of that, to do a quick search of their outer clothing to look for weapons that may be a danger to that officer during that detention and that investigation. But there's a huge limit on that, and that is that the the police officer, and this is very similar to what I was talking about with a search of a vehicle when a gentleman called and I was talking about the Melvin Washington case where he said, "Can can a police officer seize your gun during a traffic stop? 
the same same rationale applies here. And what and what the court ruled is for a stop and frisk, that is to detain someone, investigate them, and do a quick pat down of them during that detention. The officer has to have a reasonable suspicion of criminal activity. It can't just be uh, some teenager walking down the street or uh, a person of certain demographics walking down the street. Uh, it can't be just a random search. It has to be that there's a reasonable suspicion. Now, that's not probable cause for an arrest. It's a lower standard. Legally speaking, it's, it's, it's not probable cause for an arrest. It's just reasonable suspicion of criminal activity based on something. For instance, uh, I think these are the facts of Terry. If it, it goes way back, last time I've read that case, um, but I think the person was was basically walking back and forth, uh, apparently casing a closed jewelry store after hours. An officer said, well, why is this person repeatedly walking back and forth and looking in the window? I think something's going on here, and they detained that person and patted him down. And and where there's that reasonable suspicion of criminal activity, then then that's a legal stop, illegal detention, and illegal search. The, the problem with just uh, random pe- stop and frisks on the streets of New York is that unless the officer has that reasonable suspicion of criminal activity, it violates the Fourth Amendment, which protects all of us, guilty and innocent alike, against unreasonable searches and seizures. And where there's that uh, absence of reasonable criminal activity, then that's an unreasonable search and an unreasonable seizure and anytime you're detained, that's a seizure. Hey, if you're not free to go, you've been seized. Well, when can an officer seize you with respect to detaining you and searching you only upon that reasonable suspicion of criminal activity? And that's an important element of the law. And I have no problem with it. And the idea that would say, well, you know, Giuliani was, was stopped from cleaning up New York. Well, I'm sure that would say hindrance. But in the meantime, we're protecting people's constitutional rights under the Fourth Amendment. And I'm okay with that and always will be. Let's go back to the phone lines. And uh, Mark is called. Mark, thanks for your patience as well, man. What can I do for you? Hi, thank you very much, Guy. appreciate sure. all that you do out here. Appreciate um, it. I'm a retired uh, police officer, served for 33 and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but different since I was on different departments, I was never with one department long enough to gain a retirement. <laughs> oh, well, you know. <laughs> Well, thanks for your service to the community anyway. I appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. I didn't do that to get this praise, but you're welcome. Uh, I have always uh, been uh, uh, loath to to carry off-duty, so I just never went out and got a permit. And since I don't have a retirement from a uh, certified law enforcement agency, I knew under the old laws that I could not carry. Oh, you can't carry under what's called LEOSA, the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act, which allows uh, retired officers to carry as well. What is the definition of retired? Yeah, Yeah, understood. So so I was like, "Mm." (laughs) so I always defaulted to that. Uh Uh, Recently, however, my wife and I have been just watching the news like everybody else, and we both decided to um, purchase firearms. Well, when I went to purchase a firearm, everything went fa- The guy who owns the shop said, my God, yours just went flying through. <laughs> so hmm. uh, in two minutes, I had it back. I'm good to go. Same thing with my wife. 
So there's no uh, constitutional problem or a hindrance of me buying a gun. But well, always uh, when I was listening to you earlier, and I get to listen to you very infrequently, but I love it when I can. So thank you for your service sure. in this. Uh, is that according to in some of the places I've checked, that I can in fact legally carry a firearm under constitutional carry. Yes. Without getting a license. Yes, and if you, if, unless you're prohibited by state or federal law from possessing a gun, and obviously you're not, not. Uh, then you can carry <laughs> openly or concealed a handgun without a license. When it, in my gun, uh, in my car, or on my person. Yes, I yeah, in so, Indiana, that's right, and 25 right. other states. And 25, so, however, some of them don't are not reciprocal. Yeah, well, there are 32 us, states that recognize our license, Mark. Um, 25 of them have constitutional carry. And now that North Dakota just this month changed their law, all 25 other states that have constitutional carry recognize it for non-residents as well as their own residents. But there are 32 states that recognize our license. So (laughs) you do the math. um, There are still... um, uh, there are still seven states where you would need an Indiana license to carry lawfully in those states. How do I do that? If it's, I thought they got rid of getting licenses. That's what I was. We confused. didn't get. We didn't get rid of the licenses. You can still apply for a license. Oh. Um, and in fact, the um, the constitutional carry statute that I helped write um, is, makes it very clear that that uh, co- licenses are still available to applicants. All currently issued licenses remain valid. And a lot of people even that are inclined to carry under constitutional carry still go get their licenses for a number of reasons. For instance, do you know that under the Federal Gun-Free School Zones Act, it says that if you're within a 1,000 feet of a school under the federal law, then uh, you can't possess a firearm and that's a felony. But there's a number of exceptions, one of which is if you're licensed by the state in which the school is located – to have a gun under the federal law. Now, the state law is different. State law doesn't have that exception, but it only applies to the actual school property. But if I'm within a 1,000 feet of a school with a handgun and I'm not licensed by the state in which the school is located, I'm violating a, a federal statute that makes me a felon. Um, to carry in a oh, state goody. park in That's Indiana. <laughs> yeah, to carry in a state park in Indiana, um, it says there's an exception. Uh, I can have a handgun with a licensed carry handgun. It doesn't say also under constitutional carry. Um, so there's another reason to have one, as well as reciprocity in those states that don't have constitutional carry. So there, there, there are a whole lot of, and, and another reason is, you know, a lot of private sellers um, won't sell a gun to a private individual unless you show them a license to carry handgun. And, and even, that includes long guns. In other words, you know, you're buying a shotgun from somebody and they'll say, please show me your license to carry. And I had this happen to me. I don't sell a lot of guns. I, I, I occasionally will trade one in when I'm getting something else. But one time I was I was selling a, a long gun, uh, and uh, I didn't know the person well. And I said, I, I'd like to see your license to carry. And he, and he goes, well, guy, you don't need a license to carry to have a, a, a long gun. Why are you asking me about a license to carry? And I said, because it tells me it tells me that you're a law-abiding citizen who can lawfully possess a gun. And I understand you don't need a license to carry a long gun. That's not my point. My point is I want to know that you're someone who can lawfully possess a firearm before I sell you my gun. And, and that's what a lot of people do. So there are a whole bunch of reasons to still have a license, including the Federal Gun-Free School Zones Act. 
And that's why the licenses remain valid that have been issued, and you can still go apply for one, and a lot of people do. I'll tell you, we're a little past the quarter hour. We'll take a break. We just got a couple more people on hold. We're going to clear up the rest of the phone lines. Uh, if you want to join the discussion, please do. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. And uh, we'll go back to the phone lines, but when we get through with that, we're going to go back and address these two issues um, that I've been teasing. One I got into a little bit, this Massachusetts decision that uses the Bruin case from the Supreme Court to invalidate the Massachusetts law, at least as to that individual, um, that says you can't be a citizen of another state and carry a handgun in Massachusetts. That's a big deal. And then also this IMPD shooting that's got a lot of people talking. And your phone calls for the remainder of the, of the show as well. Right now, right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. <laughs> I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Just got a couple of people still on hold. Let's go back to the phone lines. Robin's been on hold for a while. Robin, thanks for your patience. Thank you. Um, my question, you were recently speaking to a gentleman about reasonable force versus deadly force. Uh-huh. What I would like to know is, is reasonable force considered anything below the waistline? <laughs> no. You mean shooting someone below the waistline? Yes, I do. I'm 55, and my husband works two jobs, so he's constantly dead tired by the time he gets home at 1 in the morning. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm there alone a lot. So here's let me get a little more specific. If I take out a kneecap, is that considered reasonable? <laughs> <laughs> and Rob, no, and Robin, I, I'm I'm not laughing uh, at you I'm, I'm at all. Um, but no, if it, listen, if there's a gun involved, Robin, um, it's going to be considered to be deadly force. And no matter where you shoot someone, um, you know. And I've had that question actually a lot over the years in my in my courses. Somebody will say, "Well, if I can't use deadly force, can I just shoot them in the leg?" Well. Shooting someone in the leg is deadly force because deadly force is defined under Indiana law as force that creates a substantial risk of serious bodily injury. And serious bodily injury is also defined, and it's very broad. It talks about an injury that causes things like extreme pain, uh, a risk of death. Well, the second largest, I believe, uh, blood vessel in the body is the femoral artery. Uh, you shoot somebody in the femoral artery in the leg, and unless uh, they get a tourniquet on them right a, right away, or they're in an ER somewhere, they're going to die. Uh, and even anywhere else where you shoot someone in an extremity or otherwise, um, that's going to be considered deadly force um, because uh, you're shooting them. So the, the gun simply can't be involved. In fact, we actually have a case in Indiana. It's called Lance versus State. Um, Nance versus State, excuse me. Uh, Nance, N-A-N-T-Z versus state that says that merely pointing a loaded gun at someone uh, creates a substantial risk of serious bodily injury. And that being the definition of deadly force means you cannot even point a gun at someone simply to protect your property. Now, I'm not talking about your home. As I mentioned earlier, I'm just talking about your stuff. Like, like the gentleman uh, in the context of, of my answer had asked about uh, someone shooting a person who was breaking into their car outside. And saw him through a window and, and went out there and shot him, and a person died. Um, and and Nance versus State from the Indiana Court of Appeals says even pointing a loaded gun at someone is considered to be deadly force, which you cannot use merely to protect your property. So basically, to use the gun, Robin, 
um, you have to be uh, in fear yourself of serious bodily injury, or you're protecting another innocent person from serious bodily injury, or if they're actually trying to break into your home, you can both prevent and terminate an unlawful entry into or attack on your home uh, with deadly force. But if, if those things don't apply, you're not preventing serious bodily injury, uh, you're not preventing what's called a forcible felony, and you're not preventing or terminating someone from that unlawful entry or attack on your home, um, then uh, the gun uh, needs uh, needs to not be involved um, is the way Indiana law works. And I'll tell you what, uh, M.M., it says, uh, so gosh, Mr. M.M., I love your music. I don't know if that's you or not, but, uh, but th- thanks for calling the Gun Guy Show. Guy, appreciate your show. Sure. And everything you've done for Indiana. Oh, thank you. I appreciate um, that a lot. I'm a retired. My wife and I both have retired from Illinois, uh-huh. which I won't talk about. But <laughs> your earlier in the show, you talked about going to in or Illinois from Indiana with a gun in the car and so uh-huh. on and so forth. I still have a son in Illinois that. I quite frequently go to, but have never taken a gun. Now, my really question is, if I carry a gun in my truck with me to Illinois, and God forbid something should come up that I have to defend myself or my wife, what are the legal allegations of that, sir? Yeah, understood. Well, first of all, uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not an Illinois attorney. So to, to break down all the different issues with, um, you know, when you can defend yourself and whatnot. I mean, I'm I, I always in, in that context, limit my answers to Indiana law where I'm licensed to practice law and I'm not an Illinois lawyer. Um, the point I was addressing earlier is that uh, Illinois has changed its law in terms of uh, recognizing other people's licenses, that is, residents of other states, that if you have, for instance, an Indiana license to carry handgun, uh, Illinois now says you can have a handgun in your vehicle in Illinois. Um, if you get out of the vehicle, it has to remain uh, 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 locked in the vehicle out of sight, uh, and it cannot leave the vehicle if unless you have an Illinois license to carry. So your question that goes beyond that and says, okay, well, what if I've got my 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 gun in my vehicle and I have my Indiana license and I'm traveling in Illinois and for some reason I now need to defend myself? Well, if you can possess the gun in your vehicle, I have to believe you haven't lost the ability to defend yourself with that gun while you're in your vehicle. Um, if you leave your vehicle, and again, this is where I'm not an Illinois lawyer and cannot give you a definitive answer, but if I had to speculate... And as a lawyer, you never want to speculate when people's rights are involved or, or incarceration potentially is involved. Um, so uh, if uh, you know, this is not legal advice by any stretch of the imagination. And on these exact issues, I would want you to talk to an Illinois lawyer just to verify. But my speculation would be that as, as soon as you got out of the vehicle with a gun, um, then you'd be violating Indiana or excuse me, violating Illinois law. And uh, you'd be carrying a handgun without a license. Now, maybe if it was 
circumstances where you had to defend your life or defend someone else's life. You were broken down on the side of the road. You happened to take a step out of the vehicle. Maybe they wouldn't decide to prosecute you. But um, my understanding of Illinois law is you're only legal to have that gun in the vehicle, and that's with an Indiana license to carry handgun. And the gun may not leave the vehicle. But um, beyond that simple fact, um, I, I would definitely want you to talk to an Illinois lawyer when we start talking about actually using force in Illinois because I'm not qualified to answer those questions. All right, we're at the bottom of the hour. It's time to take a break. We come back, we'll go back to our original agenda, get into a couple of other issues that I've been teasing throughout the show. Um, and so we'll do that when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93W. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93. 1 FM in Central Indiana for the Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7, UIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Here on 93 WIBC. Man, thanks so much to all our callers. We just had fabulous callers tonight. It was really fun to answer really some wide-ranging questions, really good questions, good discussion. I'm sure a lot of people learned a lot uh, from the questions that were asked by our callers. So as always, thank you so much. But let's get back into um, a little more of the plan format. And I opened the show talking about this decision. Again, it's just one trial judge in one court in Massachusetts. And, 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 and so it has no effect on us here in Indiana. And it was on this YouTube channel where, and you can see it on my Twitter at Guy Relford should be the first thing posted or most recent thing posted. Um, and, and, and it's just, you know, Supreme Court 6-3 decision uh, uh, does away with carry laws. And I'm like, what? And I read this and I'm like, what's this guy talking about? And, and, and the content of the video on YouTube is, is much more reasonable than the headline because the decision sure as hell didn't do away with carry laws. The Supreme Court decision, and he's talking about New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin which did away with New York's discretionary may issue carry law. And it, it said where New York uh, required someone to have sufficient need to carry a handgun before they got a license. And I said, oh, no, uh, this is a right. It's not a privilege granted by the state to a select few based on need. It's a constitutionally protected freedom. And, and just as importantly as that, and, and, and actually more so, the court also changed the analysis for determining whether a law does or does not violate the Second Amendment. Because for years, decades, courts have been using this, this uh, system of, of applying different levels of scrutiny. They look at the level of infringement and then say, well, uh, based on, on how badly this infringes the right, uh, we'll, we'll apply different levels of scrutiny. And, and, and it was a balancing test where if the state had a compelling uh, interest in the area in question, like, oh, well, keeping the community safe, it's a compelling interest, um, then, then a, little, a little infringement was okay, or even a moderate level of infringement was all right under this sort of balancing test, which I never understood and I never agreed with. Well, that's gone. 
and now it, the the test is is simply one. And and if you if you watch the the Brent Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, he talked a lot about this, and he was grilled on this by all the Democrats because they really didn't like it. But he looks at, at constitutional analysis and constitutional jurisprudence, and he says, "Listen, this is this is not hard. It's based on text, history, and tradition." You look at what does the plain meaning of the constitutional protection say? What does it mean? And is the particular activity covered by that constitutional protection or not? If it is, then the the proponents of the law, typically the state, or it could be the federal government, then has the burden of showing that that particular law in violating, being covered by the Second Amendment, is consistent with the historical uh, treatment and traditional regulation of Second Amendment rights in that area. In other words, show me similar laws that have been upheld in this country, or even back before the founding, and in, in going back into, into, into particularly European and, and focusing on English law. Where has this regulation been upheld historically and traditionally? And only then, if you can establish that, does it pass constitutional muster? Otherwise, it's unconstitutional. And I said when that decision came down, I said, hey, look, I'm glad for those eight or nine states that have a May issue licensing system because this is now tossed to that. And that's great. Um, that is the Bruin decision that came down last fall. But it, it has much broader ramifications because things like an assault weapon ban can't pass that test. Just can't. And high capacity magazines, quote unquote. Again, I, I'm putting assault weapon in quotes, right? People come up to me all the time. What the hell is an assault weapon? I get it. It's a political term. I agree with you. But in using that terminology, it can't pass that test. A magazine capacity ban can't pass that test. And what this Massachusetts judge said, and this is why it's so satisfying to read this opinion. It's only seven or eight pages long. It said, listen, the Second Amendment is the only right we can think of that 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 is a constitutional freedom that you lose simply by crossing state lines. With the conversation I just had with a caller, hey, if, if I'm I live in, in Illinois or excuse me, I live in Indiana. Uh, if I go back to Illinois, do I lose my rights just by crossing the line, crossing the state line, including to defend myself? Well, and should it be that way? And of course, it should not. And that's what this opinion says. So it was just one district court judge. In state court in Massachusetts, it's not even the Massachusetts Court of Appeals. But if that analysis gets picked up, and I believe from in my heart, it's the right legal analysis. I think it's absolutely correct, and it's a proper application of the Bruin decision. And to the extent that gets picked up by more courts, that gets picked up by a federal appellate court, that analysis ultimately winds up in, in front of the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court adopts that same theory. That's how to get national reciprocity. I mean, if Congress passed a law tomorrow that said there's national reciprocity in every state and has to recognize the licenses of every other state, uh, that would be a good thing. I would be happy with that. And I was disappointed because we got that during the Trump administration. We got that passed the House and we couldn't get the Senate to take it up, which upset me at the time and still upsets me. It was the time to get it done was then. But what I would much rather have is a Supreme Court of the United States decision that says that. Why? Because what Congress gives, Congress can take away. I don't want Congress to pass a law that a future Congress can repeal. 
I want the law of the land to be states don't have the option of saying that I lose my Second Amendment rights simply by crossing state lines. I want this one district court opinion from Massachusetts that really, it even in Massachusetts, only applies to the guy, the litigant, Mr. Donnell, because it was found that the Second Amendment was violated as to him individually because of him being convicted under Massachusetts law. But I want that analysis to be picked up, and I want that to become the law of the land and imposed upon the states because that's what the Constitution requires. I'd much rather have a constitutional basis for my right to carry across every state in this country than have that simply be give, something given to me by Congress. And I'm sure you see the distinction. Right now, we're a little before the three-quarter hour. We're going to go ahead and take a break. And lastly, we're going to come back and talk about this IMPD shooting and uh, exactly what the Indiana law says on this point. You know, a caller earlier uh, made, uh, I think, a great sort of rhetorical point that says, since when does simply having a gun in your hand constitute a crime? Well, crime, no, just having a gun in your hand now. And I went through the analysis. Pointing it, yes. Shooting it in a way that endangers someone or, or you're, you're intentionally trying to, to hurt someone that's not justified, absolutely that's a crime. Just having it in your hand, typically not, but... That doesn't necessarily answer the question of whether this was a good shoot or a bad shoot by the IMPD officer. You can draw your own conclusions, but in the meantime, I will give you what the law says, which is always the proper context to have that discussion. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. shooting uh, is getting a lot of attention. Uh, the IMPD, to their credit, released what they call a critical incident video, and it shows the body cam video of an officer um, being involved in this shooting. And, and, and his body cam video is by far the most, I think, um, informative on, on what happened. But this is a traffic stop. Apparently, uh, this, this person was driving erratically, gets pulled over, and and the video is posted. I invite you to go take a look at it. But we have the audio of at least uh, the portion where the guy pulls over, looks to be going through his wallet. The officer has asked for his license and registration. Then the guy decides, for whatever reason, to grab a gun from inside his vehicle and take off running. Get your driver's license, Andy. I'm just off this man off of prison. All right. Hold on. Don't, don't, don't come out here and talk with me. Huh? Come out here and talk with me. Come out the second car. Come on, boy. Another part of that very quick, a parker. Man, stop. Foot pursuit, eastbound three. Stop it, drop it! So there you heard it. 
it's faint, and I don't know if you picked it up through your radio or on the internet, but he said, just got out of prison. This is the suspect. Just got out of prison, which I think is is an interesting fact. And what does that tell the officer? Is that an indication this person is going to do whatever is necessary to not go back to prison? I think that's certainly a plausible scenario. And, and keep in mind, these things are always looked at as what we call the totality of the circumstances. That is, everything going on, everything known to that officer, everything perceived by that officer, what the officer could hear, see, experience, you name it. It's totality. It's the whole set of circumstances. So the the person, if you haven't seen the video, he's running away from the officer. And running is perhaps not an accurate description. Um, his family's attorney released a statement that said he'd been injured in a motorcycle accident a few years ago and really wasn't capable of, of running. He's sort of hobbling quickly away, but he's got a gun in his hand. And he made the decision to grab the gun before he started running. Very, very important fact. So a caller, I think, wisely asked a question, since when is it a crime to have a gun in your hand? Well, it's not. However, does during a traffic stop, making a decision to grab a gun from the inside of your vehicle, because he's not just trying to get away, he made the decision to grab the gun first. Reasonable question to ask why. Then he's running away. Now, he does not aim the gun back at the officer. He doesn't turn around to look at the officer. He's running toward the edge of a house. The chase doesn't, as you can tell from the audio, it doesn't go on very long. I mean, it's basically about half a yard that this guy's running through. Officer raises the gun, fires two shots, hit him once, and the person died. So what's the law in this area? Uh, I mentioned this statute before, but with respect to arresting someone, because this guy, is it's a traffic stop. He hasn't yet been arrested. Then he takes off running. Well, what's the officer trying to do? He's trying to get to him, to stop him, detain him, and arrest him. What force can an officer use to arrest someone? Well, Indiana Code, is, it's 3541-3-3. And it says a law enforcement officer is justified in using reasonable force if the officer reasonably believes that that force is necessary to enforce a criminal law or to effect an arrest. That's a reasonable force. However, an officer is justified in using deadly force only if the officer, one, has probable cause to believe that deadly force is necessary to prevent the commission of a forcible felony or to, the, to effect an arrest of a person who the officer has probable cause to believe poses a threat of serious bodily injury to the officer or a third person and has given a warning, if feasible, to the person against whom deadly force is to be used. So this analysis, in terms of whether this was a legal shoot or not an illegal shoot, is going to come down to just that. Did grabbing the gun, making the decision to grab it, not just run away, but grab a gun and run away, and then running away from the officer without pointing the gun at the officer, but with a gun in his hand, did those facts, did that totality of circumstances combine to give that officer that reasonable belief the deadly force was necessary because the person posed the threat of serious bodily injury to the officer or a third person. Who else was in the area? You can't really see anybody else in the video, not that I noticed. That's what this comes down to. And again, 
I think that's a tough call. And would a jury find beyond a reasonable doubt the officer did not have that probable cause to believe the person poses a threat of serious bodily injury to the officer or otherwise? That's an interesting question. I don't know that anybody can look at that video and be real firm in their conviction one way or the other. And with that, that wraps up today's Gun Guy Show. Thanks so much to our callers. Thanks to you for listening. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for the Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.